0: Look, I am overwhelmed, excited to see so many here tonight that have come for one reason, to honor our great King. He's the conqueror of our sin. He's the exterminator of our shame. He's the Savior to whom I have pledged my death and my life. And I pray that you'll consider exactly the same. We say that we give our life to Jesus, but there's more than that. There are so many ways that He asks you to die for Him. Look, it seemed best to me, at least initially, to give a brief chronology of how we all came to be here tonight. But when I say initially, I began to think about it, and how we got here is not nearly as, infor- as important as why we've come here. So I'm not going to give you a chronology. I want to describe the spirit and the character of the one association that we have all come to share. I'm going to begin with a passage that could be unexpected. I know that's surprising. This is Luke 5.39. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new. For he says the old is better. That single verse almost entirely excludes the Southern Baptist community. It's also proof that people don't understand the one association any better than they do the words of Jesus. In fact, the world has a prohibition on old wine in more ways than one, despite the words of Jesus. When I say old wine, we're talking about the old wine of Moses who found Egypt contemptible. And Egypt found him just as contemptible because he saved his people. We are the old wine of Jephthah, who was contemptible to his people until he saved them. And they were contemptible to him when when they failed to produce anything with the salvation he provided. We are the old wine of Daniel, who was contemptible to the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon was contemptible to him. That is, until Nebuchadnezzar was saved through their interactions. We are the old wine of the carpenter of Nazareth. He was found contemptible by His people and many of them were contemptible to Him until He saved them and regenerated them. We are the old wine of the Apostle Paul who found this world contemptible and the world found him just as contemptible. Although they enjoy reading the things that he wrote as long as they don't have to apply them to their lives. What we're doing here is not a new movement. It's not a new program. It's not the latest fad to move through the church world. But what then are we? We're an old thing in a new name. We're the original re-released. We're old wine in a new bottle. The world does not need another new Christian movement. The world is in need of the original heart and soul and spirit that could only be called old wine in a new body. Look, I love phrases. Like born again, discipleship, missions. Nobody likes to use the phrase spirit-filled more than me. I think they're perfect in their original expression. And yet they seem to have succumbed to reinterpretation in our time. It is as if years of use without sharpening them has blunted the edge of the sword. So instead, in the one association, we tend to ask people things like, so... When did you fall head over heels in love with Jesus Christ? Have you taken on the way of life that your teacher leads? Are you ready to die for the people that you say you are being sent to? And do you manifest a spirit of holiness when you say that you move in the gifting of the Holy Spirit? None of these things are new. In fact, they are the old wine. The conversation always seems to go in the same direction. Well, I can't argue with your message. It's clearly in the Bible. But do you have to say it like that? Do you have to dress like that? Do you have to be as serious as you are all of the time? Wow. How many times have you heard this? It's just as ridiculous as disdaining a 500-year-old bottle of wine because you don't like the color of the label. Nobody liked the package God put His Word in either. They would have preferred a chairman to the carpenter and it was the religious people of the day who did prefer Barabbas to Jesus. In the one association, obviously, we do not dress to impress. But we do work to see the kingdom of God manifest. Come on somebody, hallelujah. In the one association, we are more concerned with the old wine of David where the scripture says in Acts 13, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Oh, how would you like the Lord to say that about you? I prefer it to saying he will believe everything I want him to believe. He will hang the right creed on the wall. He'll even kiss it and reverence it and pass it down to his children, but he will not do it. So then... Doing is more important than saying things perfectly. Let Michael disdain our dress, dance, and speech, for we know that God disdains her attitude. We want the old wine of David more than what we're concerned about as far as religious dress, speech, or programs, or whether the world finds us acceptable. We, like James, want to show our faith by what we do. We are fully aware that while people will not dare to criticize the truthfulness of the message, they will certainly dare to criticize everything about its messenger. They always have. They always will. I'm sorry that I left my suit at home. Actually, I don't own one. This criticism, this is the fermentation process of the old wine. He baptizes us in the criticism of men to inoculate us from the praise of men, and that miraculously frees us from the fear of men. This process ferments convictions of heaven into our earthly bodies. The fermentation of the Spirit cultivates an intoxication for the things of God and a disdain for the things of the world. Unfortunately, we're living in a time where the church world loves the praises of men, and they have lost faith That God wants to save the world. They hide in their beautiful buildings. And they dare to praise themselves for the things that they believe in but do not do. These critics have always been around. They were plentiful in Zephaniah's day. He wrote in Zephaniah 1.12 about them. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps. And I will punish those who are complacent. Who are like wine left on its dregs. Who think that the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. That happens when you meet on one man's revelation for 500 years and refuse to grow, refuse to move, despite all of the evidence. In the one association, we dare to believe that the Lord will do something. Yes. Amen. Is doing something. Yes. And He's doing it through us. Amen. So we say with confidence that we are DCD. That we don't care a damn about this world, its dregs, or its complacency. We love none of its pleasures. We take none of its profits. We will not be seduced by its positions. We will not accept its promotions. We will not seek its plaudits. And we refuse its popularity. The Apostle Paul was DCD. He didn't care a damn for the world or its cowardly ambitions, faint hearted faith, its feckless objectives. He wrote this kind of old wine attitude straight into the holy text. Consider Galatians six fourteen. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified. Somebody say crucified. Crucified, crucified to me and I to the world. Paul said the world had been crucified to him. He found it contemptible. He didn't want it. He didn't care a damn for having anything in it. But He also said, And I to the world. He is crucified to the world and the world to Him. The spirit of the world, whether in a religious packaging or a secular packaging, finds the old wine contemptible. This is because we are overthrowing this world system in favor of heaven's system. Our aim is the kingdom of God on earth. The weak-minded, the even weaker-willed, they'll lob their fiery darts, not attacking the message. They can't. But instead, attacking its messengers. You will hear things. They eat with sinners. Mm, They are gluttons. They are drunkards. They have beards. (laughs) They drive trucks. They used the word damn. No. So did Jesus. So did Paul. The church world no longer possesses a fiery faith. It's been overcome with a fairy faith. Think about it. You don't believe me. They've surrendered even our vocabulary to hell. Besides, these are the same kind of things that have been said about every generation of the DCD. But we are unfazed because we truly don't care a damn for what the worldly think. Whether they possess themselves in a religious crowd or a secular. We care about one thing. Faithful obedience that pleases our king. We're going to leave the dainty words, the faithless works, to the powerless prophets who are in pulpits for a prophet. The one association is not driven by the personality of Eric Stevens. It's not driven by the personality of any leader within it. It is the offspring of Scripture. Would you like to meet its parent? Yes. Oh, I want to introduce its parent. It's Exodus fifteen twenty-seven. Then they came to Eliam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. And they camped there near the water. See, the 12 tribes, they became springs of salvation for every nation in the world. This scripture birthed what we're doing here right now. In Jewish reckoning, there are 70 palm trees in this scenario because there are 70 nations listed in Genesis 10. When you think on the biblical story, you find 12 showing up over and over with a special revelation. For instance, the 12 apostles who became springs of salvation for every nation in the world. Of course, those 12 raised up 70 who were sent to the entire world because they became what the twelve were. If you search through the prophets, the writings, the Torah, you find things like 1 Kings 7.49 where there are ten menorahs in Solomon's temple. Those ten menorahs, of course, have seven branches on each one for a total of 70 burning fires in the house of God, one for each nation. We are right now in the Feast of Sukkot, In Numbers 29, over the course of seven days, 12 tribes sacrificed 70 bulls in anticipation of God saving the whole world through what was done in Israel. The parent of the one association is the idea that God wants to birth life-giving springs, churches that serve one purpose, to give a life-giving flow of water to the nations of the world. Since you can't give what you don't have, we have to obtain it. We have to obtain it, we have to drink deeply, and the water must overflow. We are not content to sit on our salvation while the world goes to hell in a handbasket. In the one association, we are convinced that God wants 12 springs, that our church is to flow with life-giving water to every nation in the world that are represented by the 70 palms in Exodus 15. The truth, the unadulterated, incorruptible gospel, that is what we will bring. Now this is the important part. We can't be bought. We can't be compromised. We can't be deterred. We can't be intimidated. We can't be turned back, deluded, or delayed. When there are 12 springs in this nation, we will not rest on our laurels. We will repeat the same exact biblical process in every nation that we go to and every nation focused on every other nation until the gospel is again received back at the starting line in Israel where it started there is no scripture that expresses our dcd attitude better than proverbs 13:8 a man's riches may ransom his life but a poor man <laughs> a poor man hears no threat The proverb captures the DCD concept. When you love, accumulate, and accept the things of the world, then the things of the world have purchased your life. When you have sacrificed and crucified the world to yourself, then you don't even hear the threats of the world. You've already given all. Nothing now owns you but Christ. And now, all you have to give is Christ, because that's all you are. You have died and live in Him. We have forsaken the world. We have forsaken its ways. We cannot be threatened because we have nothing to lose. Our deaths have been promised to Christ. And we live only for the will of our God. Now, how do you accomplish building sacrificial churches in the midst of such a carnal kingdom? Who in today's church world is looking for what we term masculine holiness? Who will want to fight? in today's climate, for their brother's vision? Who would ever be in their comfort watching their sin to the max in hell's box office and want to go set up a rescue shop at the foot gates of hell? See, we've been told, who will follow such a message? I've been hearing that since there were just two of us in a garage. Look around you. Look around you. That's who. That's who wants to die for their brother's vision. Who wants to possess a masculine holiness. Who wants to set up a rescue shop at the gates of hell. We are the one association of churches. That's who we are. We embrace the criticism. It makes us better. We don't hide from it behind neckties. We wear on the stage what we would wear in our homes. Jesus Christ said in Luke 9, 23... Then he said to them all, if anyone, somebody say anyone, Anyone. if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The insurance price, it's not easy or expedient as the carnival kingdom has tried to make it. They would have you believe in a bargain price bride, a cheap and easy prostitute from Babylon. But Christ's bride is spotless because of her deeds prompted by faith, not her creeds that have been prompted by pimps. Every true believer in the one association knows that the attitude is DCD and nothing less. You know it because you've been reading God's holy word and that's where this attitude springs from. Consider 2 Corinthians 4. We'll pick up in the 10th verse. We always, say always, Always. carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Are you kidding me? My gold cross is not enough. My Jesus bumper sticker is not enough. The fact that I put a bracelet on my kid that says what would Jesus do because I never taught Him is not enough. We always carry around "...in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake." I know you have thought that that was a special few. That is the collective fate of every man who truly follows Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul told his protege, "...anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." So the church can stay comfortable. They can stay well decorated and well funded. But they're not persecuted because they have accepted the world and the world has accepted it. So forgive me if I'm not concerned with their opinion of our demeanor or our dress or our attitude. I want the life of God to be revealed in our mortal body. Verse 12 says, so then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. See, the one association is not based on the generosity of a few. It is based on the mutual sacrifice of all. We are devotees to death. I know that sounds strange to you. Get used to hearing it. Because it's the death of your carnal nature. It's death to the trappings of the world. It's death to the impotent and lukewarm religious system that saves no one. Why be devoted to death? So that Christ's life can truly be given to others. His resurrection life. Listen to be frank. You can tell that's a real problem for me, right? You can't be DCD if you do still give a damn for the things of this world. You will have no life to give. You will have already given it away to the things that you love in the world. There is no such thing as part in and part out. How do we hope to accomplish a global mission? How can we live up to the previous generation of DCD men. Think on the things that they did. They subdued kingdoms. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They turned back foreign armies. They received back their dead glory to God. They were tortured for the hope of the resurrection. They were weak but made strong. They went about destitute and afflicted. The answer is the same Now, as it was then, all. We must give all. For God only gives all to such men as give Him all. I'm talking about a no-hold board. Crucified daily. Don't care about this world at all. I'm going to give it all. This is like Joshua at Gibeah in the 10th chapter. He did not ask for more recess sources. He didn't start a prayer line to buy a jet. We only ask for one thing in the one association. Time to complete the mission. Amen. We march all night. We contend with all God's enemies. Yeah. We have victory at all costs. We fight for heaven. And like Joshua at Gibeah, heaven fights for us. Amen. That is the beginning of the spirit of the one association. But it is not its ending. There is another meaning to DCD. Like every principle in the one association... It was sired from Scripture. Here is its parent Scripture. This is Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus Christ did not call us to make believers or church members. He said to make disciples In Hebrew, this is Talmudim. To that end, we've done some things this year that I want to talk to you about. We've rewritten and are re-releasing what used to be called Discipleship Helps and is now just honest about what it is. It's discipleship training. We have put an appendix in it called Talmudim. That is this book that is on the screen. In fact, I'm going to read you an excerpt. I want you to understand what it is that we're aiming at. This is an excerpt from that book. Jesus did not make disciples by forming rows of chairs and educating men in a scholastic setting. His call was to a radical lifestyle of revolutionary discipleship. In most modern societies, there is no parallel that will help you contextualize this kind of discipleship and what it looked like. Truthfully, the vast majority of ministers have never experienced the concept as God intended it. For this reason... Myriads of systems have been created in a futile attempt to produce the results of the first century Christians. But they're using a different method than those Christians themselves obtained those results with. It is our position that better systems are not what is needed. Better men who are committed to authentic discipleship. That is what is needed. The appendix in discipleship training is aimed at restoring the original intentions The original methods and the results of the first century discipleship. That is what we are aiming at. It's not just that we don't care a damn for this world, it's that we will be disciples that create disciples. Is it all right if I read a second excerpt? Are you bored? When men abandon their priorities to follow the priorities of the kingdom demonstrated in their teacher. They were transformed by the process of true discipleship. Having spent years in daily connection with their master, they became like him. They became able to make disciples. The intention of biblical discipleship is to become like and even surpass your teacher. This is the method that caused the church to thrive and to spread to the ends of the earth during the first four centuries of the faith. The daily interaction between the master and the one being discipled would ensure total immersion into all the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. The humility and obedience that is involved in the process shapes the disciples into men of equal character to the original Talmudim. This process was never meant to be substituted for membership, nominal believers, or entertainers thrilling enormous crowds. This is a summary of some of the content that is in this book that the pastors of the One Association have worked so hard to put together. Lest you think I'm trying to sell a book, it is available here. And you can get it on Amazon. But I want to say frankly and up front, buying the book is not going to do much for you. Of course, digesting it and using it as a catalyst to take on our way of life, that will transform you in ways that you can't presently imagine. Imagine. How do I know that? Because I've watched it now in the birthing of eight churches. I've watched it in the generations of disciples for 26 years. The foundational meaning of DCD has always been don't care a damn for this world and I didn't coin it. C.T. Stud did. You can take it up with him if you reach the same kingdom he's now living in. Those who master that concept of not caring a damn for this world, will move on. They will build on that foundation to a new meaning. They will be disciples creating disciples. Listen, if becoming a disciple requires a level of sacrifice that's rarely seen in this world, the level of sacrifice required to make disciples is only recognized in the world to come. God's plan, given to us, I'm sure it will seem contemptible to the world. As much as the lives we're currently living are contemptible to the world. But we will be DCD in both senses of this acronym. Many can show you their discipleship programs. Of course, they cower when you ask to see their disciples. That is because their disciples are a mere shadow of the supposed great men that their megachurches are built around. They boast of their quantity rather than their quality. Their disciples are like neatly packaged religious confectionaries. They're expected to be sweet, sit on a platter, and never go to war. In the Bible, this is not what discipleship is. In Luke 6.40, I'll be reading from the CJB. A Talmud is not above his rabbi. But each one, somebody say each one. Each one. When he is fully trained, will be like his rabbi. Wow. Jesus Christ said that. A trained Talmudem becomes like his rabbi. We raise up disciples that are not only like us, but they're dedicated and empowered to go well beyond us. All you have to see to see that are the churches of the one association. They all started somewhere, and most of them have gone well beyond the church that birthed them. We take seriously when the King of Kings says, you will do even greater things. Ask us about our discipleship program. Our response came from an Indonesian pastor named Brent Vincent. You've asked about my discipleship program. I would rather show you my disciples. In the one association, we are proud of our disciples. In fact, they are our crown. Now that those disciples will be creating disciples, DCD, they are our crowning achievement and our method for global evangelism. Jesus laid down his life for disciples and those disciples lay down their lives for the next generation of disciples. This is, and always has been, the way that the true kingdom of God advances on earth. When I say you must become a devotee to death, I'm talking about death of our pride. Death of our need for recognition. Death of our need for numbers. Death of our need to be legitimized by the world. Our death in these areas will allow generations of the true and biblical disciples to be raised up, they will then create their own disciples. In other words, we must carry around the death of our flesh that life might be revealed in our disciples. Amen. Well, it may not be a popular message, but it certainly is a powerful one. Yeah. That's why we are few in number, but we are completely unified in one purpose. Yeah. I'd like to illustrate to you a story from World War I that will let you know exactly what I'm talking about. In August of 1914, the British army was in retreat. They faced a formidable opponent in the German Kaiser named Wilhelm II. He sounds like a German Kaiser, doesn't he? The battle lines were stretched out in the western front for more than 400 miles, leaving a small group of British soldiers caught, few in number, but they remained one in purpose. It was a situation where hundreds faced thousands. A situation where some were well supplied and some were certainly not. A situation not unlike every battle that any true believer, any true soldier of Jesus Christ faces. Kaiser Wilhelm was so dismissive of what he originally called the British Expeditionary Forces. Of course, I've come to call those guys the Bible Expeditionary Force. The old Kaiser famously ordered his troops just march over those British soldiers. You know, that's exactly how Satan and his hordes feel about the popular church. Easily marched over. Papered tigers. We are not the popular church, though. And these Bible expeditionary forces were not really such easy prey. On August 19th of 1914, Kaiser Wilhelm was questioned as to what he meant by just march over them. He allegedly said, don't waste bullets on those few contemptibles. Use your bayonets and march forward. They could not possibly win, those few contemptibles. But they could win. They would win. How, do you ask, would they win? Just a few of them? Well, the few in number rushed the German bannets, loving not their lives unto death, impaling themselves on the German swords so that their brothers coming behind them could step on their dead bodies and go over and beyond them straight to the enemy's throat. The lives of those few contemptibles were not taken from them in tragedy. They were given freely in victory. They had the spirit that we are fermenting in the one association. They didn't care a damn about the things that the world loves. They cared only for the glory of their king and for the advancement of their brothers. Now their brothers behind them, they stormed the fortresses of the enemy. They did it over the bodies of those few contemptibles. The survivors of the battle were very few. But from that time on, they refused to be known as the British Expeditionary Forces. You can Wikipedia it. Instead, they forever took the title The Old Contemptibles. The world and the worldly church, it knows nothing of this kind of sacrifice. Their egos are too big, their steeples are too tall to conceive of Christ's actual methods. Today's popular pulpits are built on the size of a crowd, not the sacrificial character of Christ. man. They're based on the beauty of their building rather than the spirit of a soldier. They're built on conformity with the world rather than conquest of the world. No doubt the religious will find us contemptible. Not so much in concept. Everybody agrees with our concept. They just have a problem with our carry-out. Our existence is an indictment to the comfortable and the complacent. But at least we're contemptibles for Christ and His kingdom. Let me ask you a question. Who makes the greater demand? The kingdom of Britain or the kingdom of Christ? If they did that for Britain, what will you do for Christ? It's time to grab some of the old wine of the Moravians from centuries ago. Shall not the Lamb receive the just rewards of His suffering? He will only receive the obedience of the nation if you love not your life so much as to shrink from death. Death comes in many forms. You usually think of death by fire, sword, or water. These are always seen as heroic. But not everybody is given that privilege. You know, there was once a Spanish proverb that said, Rarely in a man's life will he have the chance to be a hero. But every day he has the opportunity not to be a coward. The most difficult kinds of death are not momentary acts of valor. They are the courageous laying down of your life daily for the advancement of your brother. This is the only way true discipleship ever occurs. And it can't be contained in a classroom. The reason that our shirts are what they are this year. And the reason that I'm wearing a tank top for the first time since high school. (laughs) The reason that we put DCD on them. The reason that we put Christ contemptibles. We are Christ contemptibles laying down our lives for our brother's advancement. We are the arising church who appears on the shirt. We are New Life Ministries. We are King's Harvest Church. We are One Light Ministries. We are Life Changing Ministries. We are submission ministries and praise God for it. We are remnant church. We are Ehud to Peru. I wanted to define the spirit of what we are. Let me say it another way. Like it's on the back of the shirt. We have Jesus for us. Jesus with us. Jesus in us. Jesus around us. Jesus among us and Jesus between us. He is our Christ, our Creator, our Redeemer, our Savior, our Commander, our King, and our true Judge. We are not dedicated to popularity. We are committed to the defeat of a dragon. No pastor in the one association will build ever larger stages so that he can be viewed as a sage on a stage, but rather will set a stage and have others stand on that stage while he steps off of it. These men will have been fully trained to be like their teachers. They will master the don't care a damn for this world attitude so that they will be fit DCD. They will be fit to be disciples that make disciples. In that spirit, into that effort. This year, we've been busy. This year, the pastors of the One Association put together a ministry training volume. Inside this book, Its contents range from hermeneutics to Israelology to the twelve foundations of the mystical temple in Revelation. I I can't, but there's over 70,000 words in it because, quite simply, they're laying down their revelation for generations to pick through and decide and grow and build on. Can I read you an excerpt from the book? The book you're holding in your hands has been decades in the making. The classes contained within it have transformed churches and produced ministers currently working all over the world. It is important to approach its contents understanding that the book is essentially a summary of highly interactive classes between a pastor and his pupils. These classes were limited in size and offered only to the extremely dedicated disciples that completed prerequisites to gain access to an immersive environment. The disciples were expected to engage each other and interact in open dialogue with the pastor. Many of them were waiting on list for years prior to having this privilege and all of them lived their daily lives together in community and within a thriving church. This process firmly embedded the concepts of the book into those original classes and the lives of the people. Our hope in offering this book is that the words of the wise will be like goads. Their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Our hope is that it will spark the same kind of disciple, creating disciple movement. Notice that there are no names on these volumes. They are written in heaven, and they do not need recognition on earth. In the one association, we have no fear of obscurity. We have no fear of poverty. We have no fear of Muslims. We have no fear of bayonets. The only thing that we fear is disobedience to the great call of Jesus Christ. Amen. If we give all, somebody say all. all. All of our resources. All of our revelation. All of our recognition. All of our remuneration. All of our reputation. Will He not give us all? Amen. Yes. He will give us all. 2 yes. Corinthians 9, 7 says it. And God is able to make All grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. We need not fear giving our all. Giving your all is how you get his all. That this then is the equation. Giving our all will enable God to give us his all so that we will abound in every good work. I don't intend and I know that you don't intend. In fact, let me just say it like I mean it. We will not back up, shut up, let up, give up. We will endure, escalate, evangelize, and excel at the heart of which God values, but that the men of this world despise. Do you have the spirit of our vision yet? I'm trying. We hold these oaths to be dear. Is it possible to put them on the screen? No. Having tasted of the age to come, I will never fail to boldly advocate for the personal and corporate manifestations of His gifts. That came from Hebrews 2. Having been adopted into the Holy Family, I will not rest until every nation in the world is represented before the throne. That came from Revelation 5. Our third oath... I will not be bribed, intimidated, or seduced away from the daily implementation of the undeniable truths of Scripture. If you want to be what we are, it's not a one-time decision. It's not a warm, fuzzy moment at an altar or a pinky lifted in the obscurity of a dark room like a coward who is hiding. A man is not DCD because he was once DCD. The DCD is comprised of those who are presently living as DCD, and so is the one association. This is a family dedicated to the same daily ideals of heaven. Convictions that are based on absolutes that do not move because they are based on the Word of God. Listen, if that doesn't sound like your cup of tea, you should feel free to walk out the very same doors you walked in to enter this room. We don't lessen the gospel by begging, bribing, and belittling the sacrifice of Christ by acting like it's too hard what we're saying. We're holding the standard high, and we're inviting you up to it. Hey, speaking of the DCD, would you all like to hear more about it? Speaking of the one association, speaking of the old fermented wine, it's been thought that we were militant. You know, that's a misunderstanding that we allow because the alternative is to be spiritually pacifist. I find that unacceptable. Let us tell you about the true DCD of old. Truly fermented wine. I want to talk to you about a man that exemplifies the one association spirit. Are you ready for it? His name, are you ready for it? Barnabas. Yeah, there's no cheers. No, there's no cheers. I get it. Like, Pastor, I was uh, not expecting that. Now, you may not think of Barnabas as militant, but that's because you misunderstand the nature of our warfare. We're not talking about petty, macho bravado. Let the critics harangue us with whatever they want. That's not who we are. We're not talking about about a matter of food, drink or dress. They can criticize us. That's not who we are. I'm talking about the attitude described in Luke 16:16. 16, 16. Since that time the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. See, the militant attitude of Barnabas is our aim. He forced his way through his own flesh, his own love of the world, his own inability. He forced his way straight into the kingdom of God. Then he helped others to do the same. Barnabas was DCD, the real spirit of the one association. Barnabas, he knew how to set a stage and watch others stand on it. That is what the one association is all about. That is who we are. We are not self-aggrandizing. We are not elevating singular figures. We are not building ever higher steeples. It is our job to sacrificially lay down a foundation that others can stand taller on. The one association is not and never will be about singular leaders. I can't think of a better example than Barnabas of a militant man.
1: Pastor Matthew and I want to show you how forceful men, DCD men, force their way into the kingdom. You've been reading about it your whole life, but not thinking about men of God as being militant. When you think of great men of God, you've been trained to think of people like Charles Finney, or Spurgeon, or Wesley. Great preachers. Great evangelists. Men renowned for the size of their meetings and their proficiencies as skilled orators. Finney once said, revival comes from heaven when heroic souls enter the conflict determined to win or die, or if need be, to win and die. Man, that is DCD. I bet Finney wouldn't care a damn about the carnival kingdom that is called the modern church.
2: There's a problem though, church. The problem is that the men that followed Finney... Didn't really believe this. Finney may have been DCD, but you can't find Finney's disciples today. We will be speaking about a man who did possess a DCD spirit. Whose disciples that we can still find to this day. There's really no bigger hero. No bigger warrior than Barnabas. (laughs) Than Barnabas. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Acts 4, 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. Joseph means he adds or increases. Oh, if only his father and mother knew exactly what he would add and increase the day he was born and they named him. He was also a Levite. From Cyprus, indicating he was part of the diaspora from Jerusalem. He was on the outskirts, on the outside looking in. But the apostles looked at this DCD warrior, and they called him Bar-Naba. Son of prophecy, son of exhortation, son of encouragement. They saw what he did, and they nicknamed him after it. But church, we've missed the point. He wasn't called this because he looked like a prophet. Or we don't know what that looks like either. Or that he dressed like a prophet. He was called this because it is what he did. Since the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy, was dwelling within him. He had the DCD spirit. And he could not deny the truth. That that DCD spirit was at work within him.
1: Let's look at verse 37. It says, he sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now think about it. He sold a field. Think about those implications. If he was a priest, a Levite, he would not have had an inheritance in Israel. And since he's in Cyprus, he would have had to go and earn by the sweat of his own brow, by the work of his hands, by his own skill and talent, he would have had to earn an inheritance which it means that he immediately turned and sold and gave it to the men of God. He gave all that he had. That's a DCD kind of spirit. He didn't care a damn for the things of the world. That demeanor is where the discipleship process starts. Somebody say starts. Starts. And we mean exactly that. If you haven't gotten to that DCD kind of attitude, you have not yet even started the discipleship process. I hope so. Yeah, the last thing that we need to do is worry about your feelings because that's not a DCD attitude. What we are trying to do for you tonight is paint on the canvas of your heart what you should be longing for, what you should become. We are not trying to just speak to you. We are trying to move your hearts to be what God has made you to be. That's what we're here for together. Barnabas is also a DCD. A disciple creating disciples. It is my personal opinion that Barnabas was likely saved at Pentecost. At Pentecost, this is a man who heard the Word of God, who heard and saw the power of the Spirit and was saved in that moment. He was likely trained by the twelve disciples. Mm. Why else would he come and lay the proceeds of his sale at their feet? Wow. He raised up men. Barnabas raised up other men who followed his example and they actually went further than he did. Man, what an incredible thought.
2: Let's look at one of the young men that he raised up. Acts 9:26. In Acts 9:26, we see a young man named Saul, Shaul, coming to the disciples in Jerusalem. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. The church has the church world has always had the exact same problem, afraid to let others have what they possess because it is viewed as a threat and it's clear evidence that they really do care a damn about the things of this world. But I got some good news for you. The one association is DCD. The one association is DCD because we want to give all. Everybody say all. All. We want to give all so that others might have what we have been entrusted with. The first oath of the one association speaks of this very thing. Having tasted Of the age to come, I will never fail to boldly advocate for the personal and corporate manifestations of his gifts. What it means to have a DCD spirit is to be infilled with the Spirit of God, allowing the manifestations of the Spirit of God, and yet your
1: actions demonstrate the character of God, which is a DCD spirit. Look at verse 27. But Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles. Barnabas. Come on now. Even Saul needed to have someone to vouch for him. They were afraid of Saul. Barnabas had been watching him, had been around his life for months and months and months. He was watching this man. Someone had to take him in. Someone had to be attached to his life. Someone had to disciple Saul. Come on. How are you doing in your life? Hmm. Have you far exceeded the man Saul who became the Apostle Paul? Or have you dedicated yourself to actual biblical discipleship? Come on. Many. I'll go ahead and say all. There's not anybody in the room who's really thought about Saul in the discipleship process. How much more do we need it? Look at this. Look at as the verse continues on. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. I love this part of the verse. It's not Saul telling his testimony. It's Barnabas going, did you see what the Lord did for this guy? Let me tell you all about what the Lord did in his life. Come on. Come on now. Are you still worried about telling your story? You want people to recognize you? Whoa! Are you ready to fight for someone else's story? Can you tell someone else's testimony? Yeah, see, we're so busy looking at our own life. Lord, what can you do through me? Lord, what about me? Lord, what about my calling? Perhaps if you started focusing on the things that God focuses on, that would become so much more clear to you.
2: Oh, man.
1: Barnabas demonstrated how to give all. In this case, Barnabas was giving him his name, his reputation. He was saying, I vouch for this man. I know. I know what he did. But I am vouching for him. You should listen to him because I've seen it with my own eyes. I can testify to it. Come on now. For someone who even the church world had found to be contemptible in Saul, but who had now become a Christ contemptible. Verse 28. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Man, you could see Barnabas, Barnabas, the son of prophecy coming to the front. See, he could look at someone else and see something in them that no one else could see. How much do we need that in the kingdom? I just want to tell you that leaders and ministers don't just drop out of the sky with all the necessary tools, abilities, and experience. This ain't Superman landing in Kansas with just some other DNA inside of him and he just gets to do what he wants to do. That is not how ministers are made in the kingdom. Was that you, Drake, earlier that had the Superman shirt on? That's not how it... <laughs> that's not how it works in the kingdom disciples are created by men who have been disciples yes Barnabas' dcd attitude his christ contemptible ways helped to form the apostle paul barnabas was a disciple who was creating disciples with all the fires of his own faith Ooh.
2: let's look in acts chapter 11 verse 22 Here we'll see the way that Barnabas continued in his fiery faith and with a DCD spirit. (laughs) We'll say Barnabas for this one. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encourage them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. There was a qualification in Barnabas that allowed him to be sent and that he was a disciple that had been formed through the disciple ship process by the disciples of Christ himself. Do you get that? At the very ones that we look as closest to Jesus, standing by his side, witnessing his life day in and day out, being hand-taught by the Messiah himself. Those men were the ones that discipled Barnabas. How did he recognize the real move of God? Because he himself had an authentic experience with the same power of God that he witnessed there in Antioch. He was able to vouch for it. Barnabas was discipled by mighty men of God, the disciples of Christ. And as Pastor Wade mentioned earlier, born again at Pentecost. Born again at that time where the fire of God began to fill the early church and empower them with the manifestations of his presence. Who did he give the proceeds of his inheritance to? The very men who discipled him, he come and laid them at the at the feet. Verse twenty four says that he Barnabas was a good man. Say, good man. good man, full of the Holy Spirit. Say, full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Say, and faith. And faith. I have a question for you, church tonight. Can these same three titles be said about your life? A good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. I'm not talking about two out of three or one out of three. I'm talking about three out of three. These words were written about him because he had been discipled and was looking to give all to disciple others. If you want these three titles, associated with your name your body of work your reputation it requires you to give all to disciple others another oath of the one association expresses this very same dcd spirit it says i will not be bribed intimidated or seduced away from the daily implementation of the undeniable truths of scripture that means that as Barnabas gave his all, we also give our all as members of the one association. The remainder of verse 24 says, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Most would think, what a success. I have now arrived and God's manifest presence and glory is here because I have a large crowd applauding to my greatness. First church of Barnabas. <laughs> They would stand back and say, let me now glory in all of my achievements. And how many followers I may have on whatever streaming device there is online. Since he was a disciple trained by real disciples, he did not stand back in glory in his own achievements. Instead, he left that behind and he went to go look for another disciple Amen. because he was D.C.D., <laughs>
1: And we have to possess that same spirit. That's right. Look at verse 25. Then Barnabas went to to Tarsus to look for Saul. Come on. When we start looking for someone else to bring along with us in the the battle, on the journey, in the mission. Man, this is exactly how Jesus treated his disciples. Look at Mark 3. Examine what he says. He went and found them so that they would be with him. That attachment process. That taking in. This is how the one association works. We aren't so myopic as to focus only upon ourselves. We're looking for others to be a part of who we are and what has, God has given us to do. Yeah. Look at verse 26. And when he found him. Somebody say, he found him. He found him. <laughs> him. He brought him to Antioch. Come on, man. That's awesome. Barnabas is not a new phenomenon. Church, he is old wine and a new bottle. Come on. See, Barnabas was sent by the rest of the apostles to go to Antioch. Yeah. But there was no directive. For Barnabas to go get Saul. He said, you know what? Man, I I heard there's something going on. I've even seen that it's going on. You know what? I got to go get Saul. He left town, went and got Saul and brought him back. Come on, church. This is exactly the attitude that we are as the one association. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul. Somebody say Barnabas Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. Don't you think about it as Saul and Barnabas in your mind? Don't you attest to Saul's greatness? And oh yeah, that was that Barnabas that was tagging along. This is not what the scripture says. It says Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Look at this order of the, even in their names. See, seeing the potential in someone else is incredibly important. It is an incredibly important thing for us to raise up some Barnabas in this room. For people who have that exact same attitude, to go against the crowd and invest in someone. This is what your pastors and your elders have seen in you in this room. This is what we expect and challenge you to do. This is what DCD is. This is what the One Association is. This is exactly what Eric Stevens has done for Matthew and Wade. This is exactly what Zeke did for Jake. This is what Brent is doing for Geary. This is what Buddy is doing with Santiago. This is what Mike Hutchinson is doing with Carson. This is what Eric Triester is doing with Clay. This is what Justin Johnson is doing with Will and
2: Jeremy. This is what Nick has done for Nick, and they are now doing for Anthony.
1: Hey, hang on a second. You're saying that like it's you're you're just letting that go by as if you're not connecting with it in your heart. Yes, 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 yes. Do you understand that as men pour out their lives for other men, they become D.C.D.? They are disciples who are creating other disciples. This should be the highest form in our hearts to look at someone and say, my God, that man has been like a Barnabas to me. My God, look at that man. He's being a Barnabas to someone else. We are trying to help you to understand and place your vision, your priorities, as God does. Man, this is incredible.
2: Let's look at this further in Acts chapter 12, in verse 25. Barnabas, that's right, Barnabas! When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission... They returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. The DCD attitude says, I put on my armor. And I'll be the same one taking it off when the war is done. Amen. It means that we have to finish the missions that God has assigned to us. They were finishing their missions, but they were not finishing their call. Because the mission was a specific task that God had assigned to them. All saints, we're not talking about a sissy season that comes to end before the work is done. We are not talking about the, or what we are talking about is the completion of a masculine mission that the monarch of all mankind will reward you for. Shaba, yeah, I like that word. (laughs) (laughs) These two disciples, who are also disciples creating disciples, after finishing their mission, they take someone with them. Yeah, this young man named John Mark. DCDs, say DCDs. DCDs, finish their mission. Let's do it one more time. DCDs. DCDs. Finish their mission.
1: Finish their mission.
2: And we do that by going to look for more disciples <laughs> when we're done with the mission that God gives us.
1: Hey Amen. Take a look at the next verse, the very first verse in chapter 13. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets. Somebody say prophets. Prophets. And teachers. Somebody say teachers. 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 Listen to the order of the list. Barnabas. Simeon called Niger. Niger. Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. The order of the list starts with Barnabas and ends with Saul. This is how the Scripture ordered these men who were all considered prophets and teachers. This probably isn't how you and I would have ordered this list. If I would have asked you, First of all, if you had even known the other people in the list. But second of all, if I would have asked you to put it in order, this is probably not what you would have done. I'm just bringing to you the point that our society lessens those who propel others. See, but we're DCD. We don't care a damn for that kind of thing. We've got to put those things aside so that great men, these great men of God, look at what verse 2 says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Wow. The Holy Spirit now orders it in this, in this way. Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. A DC attitude is one that needs to be sent out so that you can create more disciples. Yeah.
2: Y'all hear what pastor is saying. You have to be sent out in order to be creating more disciples. Let's look at this in Acts chapter 14, verse 8, and say Barnabas whenever you arrive there. Barnabas! There Barnabas. Barnabas. Yeah, we go. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had the faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Where did Paul learn this from? Was it like the man delivered from another planet that landed in Kansas? Was it a a free download that you got on an internet site? And all of a sudden you had this wisdom and understanding and knowledge. Who discipled Paul? Barnabas. That very man helped Paul to have the confidence to look at this man that was crippled, not able to walk, and say, stand up. What do Barnabases do for our life? What do we as Barnabases do for other people's life? We give them the confidence to do the very thing that God has gifted us to do. And to do it better. Yes. Barnabas was a DCD. He was a disciple creating disciples. The investment that Barnabas made in Paul's life at this point in this scripture is now bearing kingdom fruit. What are we striving for? What are we pouring out our lives for? Is that you may be bearing kingdom fruit and that exponentially in which you see those who are discipling you. DCDs create disciples. DCDs create Christ contemptibles. That they may have the same ability to operate in God's vision and power as they do they're able to make the lame leap to
1: their feet and begin to have a right walk with God. Come on. Look at verse 11. Look at the response. We see a miracle take place. Now look at the response of the people. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what they sounded like. Barnabas, they called Zeus. And Paul, they called Hermes. Because he was the chief speaker. See, even the people of that town thought that Barnabas was the chief, the head, Zeus himself. Even the lost world recognized who the boss in that situation was. Paul, they considered Hermes because he was the chief speaker. See, today we don't Today, don't we consider someone with a gift to speak as the more important of the two characteristics? Are you gifted with words? Well, then let's exalt you to the highest place that we possibly can. Mm. Even the world of this time said, yeah, that's Zeus, and that's the one who's speaking for him. He's the messenger boy that speaks for Zeus. That's a good point. Mm. For the one association, we are DCD. We are Christ contemptibles. We highly esteem those who are chief in setting the stage and then stepping off so that someone else can step up.
2: Amen. Amen. Stepping off for someone else to step up, it requires faith. As we begin to look further in these scriptures, I want you to ask yourself a question. What level of faith do I really possess? Do I possess the level of faith, the depth of faith to make someone else the focal point? You had thoughts like I have. You stood in front of your mirror. You've picked up your hairbrush. As you can see, I use it quite often. And you begin to pray in the Holy Ghost and imagine casting out demons. Imagine preaching messages. Imagine standing on hills and watching demons be cast out. That does take faith, saints. But can I tell you tonight that it takes greater faith to die so that you can make someone else the focal point. Someone else have the achievement that you couldn't accomplish by yourself. DCDs establish a fixed reference point by which where their disciples can judge the fruitfulness of their work. Do you have disciples around you that are constantly looking to you, imitating what you're doing? And as a steady reference point of what the kingdom of God looks like in action on earth. Let's go to 14, Acts fourteen twenty one. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas. You see the shift. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. At this point, the point of strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith because we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul is demonstrating that he is ready. He is absolutely ready. He's leading the way, appointing elders, strengthening and encouraging the disciples in all the churches. And do you hear that word encouraging? That should bring back to remembrance something that was imparted to him. Because now Paul has become a son of encouragement. Paul has become a DCD, a Christ contemptible. Paul has now become exactly what Barnabas was.
1: Well, let's continue to talk about that shift for a second. Let's go back just a few verses. I'm going to go to verse 19 and 20, and I'm going to read it to you in the complete Jewish Bible. Then some unbelieving Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Are you starting to real- remember some of these cities now, these towns? Yes. They won over the crowds and stoned Shaul and dragged him outside of the city thinking he was dead. Mm. Church, you cannot shortcut the DCD and discipleship process. You cannot shortcut your way to being DCD or being a Christ contemptible. In the very next few verses is what Pastor Matt just read. That you must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God is what Paul was saying. It's because they had just stoned him. Dragged him out of the city, thinking that they were successful in killing him. Wow. Look at verse 20. And again, I read to you from the complete Jewish Bible. But as the Talmudim gathered around him. But as the Talmudim gathered around him. He got up and went back into the town that had just tried to kill him. The next day, somebody say next day. Next day. He left with Barnaba, Barnabas for Derby. That is DCD. That is is Christ contemptible. (laughs) On one day, they almost kill you. Your disciples gather around you. You get up, go back into the town. And then continue on with the mission that God gave you. Amen. This is what we are building as part of the one association. Yeah. We are done with people who want to have a hangnail and can't make it to the service the next day. Oh, pastor, you don't know how difficult my day was. Tell that to Paul. Come on. You get a headache and you can't advance in the kingdom. Look at what's going on here. The beauty of discipleship, that the discipleship maker is supported by his disciples. He's not lifted up, but rather he is lifted by them and they are lifted with him. He's lifted as much as they are because it is a relationship of actual discipleship. Paul is now ready. He's laid his life on the line, not just with his words, but in actual deed. He gave all. He had to have a miraculous resurrection to continue on. But my friend, continue on. He did. The power of resurrection is always required for you to move on and do what God has for you. And if you haven't yet had to experience the power of the resurrection, you're not even in the game yet. Having been adopted into the holy family is one of our creeds and our oaths. Having been adopted into the holy family, I will not rest. You can kill me. And I'm not even sure that that's going to stop me. Amen. Because I'll just ask the Lord. He'll resurrect me and I'll just keep going doing exactly what he gave me before. I was going to say I'm going to ask the Lord for resurrection. The disciples will gather around and it'll happen. I need the disciples to ask for me. <laughs> Having been adopted into the holy family, I will not rest until every nation in the world is represented before his throne. Amen.
2: Everyone turn to Acts chapter 15, 36, and we'll look at some holy
1: family matters. Hey, y'all got to stay with us here. I I get it. I get it. Some of you have traveled. I I mean, I get it. But we can't very well be talking about DCD, Christ contemptibles, we're going to give our all if we allow a little sleep and a little slumber and a little folding of the hands to hit us. See, because what God is doing here is writing something on your heart. Yeah. Yeah, he is. So you're going to stay with us. You're going to, I mean, I don't mean just not leave the room. I mean, you're going to stay with us because what we have here, see, we hadn't even given you our best yet. We, we still got something left for you because we've been men, we're men who've been discipled. See, we got, we got more to give you because we've learned it from other men Yeah. and we're going to give it to you. So stick with us.
2: Church, we're going to give our all. Come on, we're going to give our all. That's what I'm talking about. 1536. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. While this verse is difficult for commentators and Christians without the DCD spirit, In the one association of churches, it's not very difficult to understand at all. Because the only serious split that the DCD ever have is over sin. The only split that the DCD ever has is over sin. And that's not what this is in this scripture. When you have the DCD spirit, we are able to go in different directions in order to multiply our missions. That's why there are eight churches, and that's why we are striving, praying, working to create disciples so that there will be eventually 12 springs, 12 churches in that one association. Paul is a disciple who is now on a mission to create disciples, and he must be busy with his task. We see a multiplication of God's mission. Where would we be today in our ability to function in the church if we didn't have any of the epistles of Timothy, none of the epistles of Titus? Where would Paul be if he didn't have Silas there to rejoice with him in prison? We would be
1: missing major cornerstones of our building blocks of our church and faith. Think about Barnabas. He is a master disciple maker. He's a son of prophecy, and he knows now what John Mark may become. He is vouching yeah. for him. He is looking into his life just like he did with Saul. And he's going, no, 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 no. No, I, I I know what he was, but I also know what he can be. Amen. See, Saul, you may have forgotten what you were, but, but I can see it in John Mark. I know he's got something down on the inside of him. Yes. He completes his task with John Mark. Barnabas does. Because John Mark becomes useful to the entire body of Christ. And John Mark has even become useful to you. He wrote the Gospel of Mark. How useful is that? Barnabas wasn't DCD because he was once DCD. Because he he saw Saul and did something good and decided to retire. He was DCD because he kept being DCD in an
2: ongoing fashion. In 2 Timothy 4.11, this is Paul writing... And a clear demonstration that this was not a parting over sin. This was a parting over a DCD spirit that was looking to multiply the missions of God. It says, only, Paul's writing, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. If he stop right there, it would have been great, but it gets even better. Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Come on, that's awesome. Come on. What is it like for someone to vouch for you, to pour their lives into you, and to be able to be seen as being helpful in ministry? Now, when I read this, I imagine Paul is pinning this letter to Timothy. And as he is coming to this subject, he's reflecting. He's remembering of Barnabas leaving Antioch and going back to Tarsus to grab him. He's remembering all the events that Barnabas stood up and spoke first. He took the lead and thereby the punishment of pioneering away so that Saul, now becoming Paul, could perform the great things that God had prepared for. Paul is calling Mark here helpful to his ministry. This is not a split, it's advancing in different directions in order to multiply the missions that God gives us.
1: In Colossians 4, we're going to put it on the screen in verse 10. It's actually, we're going to show you another example of this. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Huh. Talking about the same man throughout this. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard a commentator that reminds you of this. They only point to where there was a sharp disagreement. Yeah. See, now we know we're just multiplying our mission. Amen. Jesus, who is called justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. How special is that? Paul has learned the importance of standing with others. Please welcome Mark. Make sure on my behalf, you welcome my friend Mark. These guys were the only Jews among the workers who had proved to be a comfort to him. That's a small group of people. He names three people in this passage. I got three friends. (laughs) Three. How important do those three friends become to you? Everything, man. Man, they might even be important enough to put in your jarhead covenant. Yeah, that's
2: what I'm talking about. Come on, a special
1: place, a special relationship, and this is exactly what Paul is saying about Mark. He continues in verse 12. Epaphras,
2: who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea in Heropolis. Where do you think Paul learned to vouch for someone? He learned it from Barnabas. I want to ask you a question. What are you doing to take responsibility to be a DCD? What are you doing to take responsibility to be a Christ contemptible? Giving your all laying yourself upon the bayonet for the sake of your own disciples i am one association from the fraternal and eternal order of the dcd the die has been cast i have stepped over the line The decision has been made. I am on the offensive for Jesus Christ. I won't look back. I won't let up. I won't slow down. I won't back away or be still. My losses are redeemed. My
1: present is to make war, my victory, secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, cowardly ambitions, faint hearted faith and feckless objectives. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits or popularity. I now
2: live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer,
1: and labor by power until the ultimate sovereignty of God. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions few. My guide reliable. My mission paramount.
2: I cannot be bought. Compromise, deterred, intimidated, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I
1: will not flinch in the face of sacrifice.
2: Hesitate in the presence of adversity.
1: Negotiate at the table of the enemy. Ponder at the pool of popularity. Or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am on a warpath for the cause of Christ. I must give until I drop, preach until all know, and proclaim until all are empowered. And when my time is
2: up, he will have no problem recognizing me.
1: I am one association from the fraternal and eternal order of the D.C.D. I am not ashamed to fight for the gospel
2: of Christ. Will you join us in being a D.C.D.? Will you join us in being a Christ contemptible? Will you give your all, laying
1: your life on the bayonets for others? For you to do this, you have to die to win.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Barnabas did. Church tradition says that Barnabas was martyred in Cyprus in 61 AD. Wow. See, he was there to greet Paul when he came into the kingdom the first time on earth. <laughs> and Barnabas was there when Paul came into the eternal kingdom. To greet him into the heavens. Because yes. both men yes. gave their lives. Yes. Barnabas gave his all. Yes. Paul gave us all. Yeah. The disciples gave all. All Christ's contemptible disciples still give their all. Yes. Will you? Yes.
2: Are you willing to pay the cost? To pay the cost that all others might win. Let's say that differently so that you have to wrestle with this a little bit. What do you still care a damn about in this world that is preventing you from paying the full price and becoming a disciple that can create other disciples? Is this
1: world truly contemptible to you? Because if it is, you will be contemptible to the world.
2: Tonight, saints, I want you to look at this altar and look at it as a bayonet, something that will pierce your own soul in order to remove selfishness, remove pride, that you may advance the success of others at the cost of your very own life. At this altar, I'm inviting you to be a devotee to death,
1: There's only one way for us to end this night. When we stand, we're going to get into the presence of the Lord. (laughs) We're going to continue in the presence of the Lord. Don't shuffle your Bibles just yet. I want you to listen to this for a minute. Far beyond the words that many, many a believer has said. Many, many, a churchgoer has pledged an undying fealty to the Lord. The only way to be DCD, the only way to be a Christ contemptible is at the price of your death so that others might live. Stand to your feet with us. Mighty God, even now, Lord, there have been so many who proclaim their undying love to you and have not been found contemptible in this world. They have not held the world contemptible in their own heart. Lord, that you would write on the canvas of our hearts tonight not people who will say, but people who will die, who will pledge their death to you as well as pledging their life. Lord, as we get to this altar, this altar is our bayonet tonight. It is what we are pledging to die upon that others might live. That we might die, that your resurrection power may be given to others, Lord. Move upon the people here in this room now. Mark us with your very presence. May we be DCD, not just say it, May we be Christ's contemptibles to our very core, mighty God.